I just love being out on the water. There's something really incredible and about like the intrinsic nature of being out there. Uh, I'm so close to to everything, but I get to feel like I'm in my own little kind of slice of heaven. This is Fishtails, a seafood podcast. I'm John Sussman. Maine, on the east coast of the United States of America, is home to a thriving oyster farming industry with over 100 oyster farms located along the coast. The state's cold, clean waters and unique tidal patterns provide ideal growing conditions for high-quality oysters. With a growing demand for locally sourced, sustainable seafood, the industry has seen a significant growth in recent years. For a young graduate interested in starting a career in oyster farming, there are plenty of opportunities to get started as a rookie oyster farmer. While the job can be physically demanding and requires long hours, it offers the chance to work outdoors, develop a deep understanding of marine ecology, and produce a highly sought after marine product. Alicia Guerrero is one such rookie for whom her home state of Maine has provided not only the opportunity to become an oyster farmer, but for her to also develop a thriving business. I'm Alicia Gallero. I'm the owner of Naughty Sister Sea Farm, and I'm speaking to you from Yarmouth, Maine in the United States. So we're a small coastal community um, about uh, 15 minutes or so north of Portland, which is our Maine's biggest city. And we're kind of a growing aquaculture kind of area, but primarily residential town on the, wa- on the water. It's a long like heritage in our state. It's always been known for seafood. Um, our primary seafood industry has been uh, the Maine lobster. Um, that's a you know pretty much what we're known for internationally, and a number of different ground fisheries as well. But in the last um, kind of twenty to thirty years, and really in the last about five years, truly there's been a, a pretty big expansion in our aquaculture industry. So we're starting to be known for the main oyster, um, but we're we're definitely beat when it comes to the lobster. Um, but our state has kind of started to open access for aquaculture farms and with our warming waters and kind of diversified industry goals to make sure that we kind of have um, multiple industries for fishermen um, with the pressures of climate change and things. We've seen a, a big jump in aquaculture farms here. Growing up on the coast and having access to fresh seafood as a child can greatly influence a person's career path particularly if they develop a love and appreciation for seafood at a young age. Exposure to the seafood industry and local fishing communities can inspire individuals to pursue careers in related fields such as marine biology, aquaculture or commercial fishing. Like I grew up loving seafood. I've uh, There's like baby pictures of me basically with like lobster legs and claws in my, in my baby car seat. And my favorite food has always been mussels. So um, just being on Maine's coast, you're kind of like born into it. But I definitely took to it more than probably most of my siblings or most of my family, I would say. (laughs) But just growing up, uh, going to lobster bakes and things on the the water with family. Um, So while I was in college, there was a big proposal for a large scam, uh, large land-based Atlantic salmon farm in my hometown of Belfast, and I was really unsure what that might mean and what that looked like. And so I ended up doing um, a semester-long kind of research project on 
land-based aquaculture versus net pen fisheries. And I, I just got really involved in the public process, which was really pretty contentious. A lot of different opinions on what should come to our community and what was good for the environment and things. And that kind of was like what I call my gateway drug. And then I just couldn't get out of it. Um, and so since, like, I ended up visiting a number of other farms with uh, from seaweed uh, to mussels and eventually oysters. And ironically, oysters were like the only seafood I'd never tried, um, which was is kind of funny. And I, ha- I went to my first oyster farm and I had my first oyster. And within a few years, I had my own farm, uh, which I probably couldn't have never anticipated at the time. <laughs> Entering the oyster farming industry as a first-generation farmer can be challenging. With the right mix of determination, hard work and guidance, it's possible to succeed. Typical of many next generation oyster professionals, the path may involve completing a degree in marine biology, aquaculture or a related field, and then seeking out apprenticeships or entry level positions on established oyster farms to gain hands-on experience. Diving headlong into farm ownership from a standing start demands courage, faith and commitment. So in the state of Maine, there's three different types of aquaculture leases and licenses. Um, So there's an annual license, which is what the farm currently operates on right now. And so in 2020, I kind of reached a pivotal point in my life where it was, um, I thought I was going on to graduate school to study ocean food systems. And on the day, the last day I had to kind of place a deposit and hold my spot, I instead um, ended up kind of on a journey where I placed a deposit on oyster gear in, instead. And I applied for these um, small scale uh, annual licenses, my sisters and myself, and they were eventually granted. Um, and so that was in 2020. And this was just before COVID kind of shut down the world, which is a really interesting time to end up starting a business. Um But Yarmouth was kind of the area that was selected because I'd met a number of other farmers and they were really open and and kind of helping facilitate my opportunity and success. So they were like, if you come to Yarmouth, we're going to help you. Like Southern Maine is where it's at. Um, Because as a young person, I'm I'm 24, you know, you want to be where the people are and not in the like small coastal communities necessarily. So Yarmouth was really great for that because it gave me like a small community feel, but access to the city and like just more going on and to grow my business and things like that. Um, So it kind of felt like initially like a spot on a map, like, you know, I didn't know a ton about the community or the area, but I had the right people kind of in my corner. And um, since now I'm pretty integrated into the community, for example, I just left the Harbor Committee meeting that we had this afternoon and, and things like that. So it's been quite a, a transformation. Um, it was kind of like a really cool year to start my farm in 2020 because a lot of social pressures, like as a young person, you know, kind of rejecting graduate school before COVID um, was a pretty insane thing to do, it felt like. And then you know, there was kind of this like, like social aspect of, uh, you know, like the world slowed down while we were in quarantine here in the United States and particularly in Maine, we had pretty strict restrictions. Um, and so it was kind of this little, like almost low pressure time to like foster this farm and really invest in it. And 
but as a result, there was a um, limited sales of oysters here because restaurants were closed. And I think probably Australia may, I don't know how intensely you experienced this. I, I learned a little bit about it, like growing the direct to consumer model and things. But for us, um, all of our local markets pretty much, di- you know, diminished overnight um, with, you know, the closing of restaurants and like, you know, people not knowing how to shuck oysters at home and, and having to adapt to those things. So, um, this guy, Thomas, who I kind of call like my mentor, um, he's a farmer and, and he was really the guy who got me to come to Yarmouth and said he'd help me. And he had all these oysters that were like almost, you know, one year out from being ready for sale. And he ended up selling me, um, a number of these one-year-old oysters to fill my equipment because he's like, I need cash and you need oysters. I need space and you have space. Um, So I kind of got to hit the ground running on top of having my first year of oyster seed um, because uh, he sold me these one-year-old oysters and and by the following year, I had saleable product, which typically you would be pre-revenue for probably two to three years. Um, so that was kind of like a really awesome thing for me because it was like, you know, a pretty reasonable rate for the product, but he, there wasn't a lot of people necessarily, you don't really want to tell people you're not selling a ton of oysters at the time. You also want to, you know, kind of protect yourself. Um, but it was really great for me because that meant in basically the end of my first calendar year, I had revenue to kind of inject back into the business. I kind of had a proof of concept, like, okay, I've got a market. Okay. I've got like, um, interest in my product. I've figured out how to keep it alive for a winter at a bigger size, things like that. So, uh, they kind of helped propel me. And then over the last, uh, this past summer, we st- had our first year of like seed to full market size product, but not, um, as like, this will be the year of like the greatest revenue thus far because we've uh, approximately quadrupled in size since 2020. The Eastern or American oyster, scientifically known as Crassostrea virginica, is the most common oyster species found along the east coast of North America, especially in Maine. The virginica oyster grown in Maine is unique due to the cold, nutrient-rich waters of the state's coastline. These conditions contribute to a slower growth rate for the oysters, resulting in a denser, meatier texture and a sweeter, brinier flavor than oysters grown in warmer waters of the South. Um, so we have a uh, East Coast oyster, which is a Virginica. Um, we're not allowed to have any other oyster species, really. We do have a European uh, flat oyster here, but that's pro- primarily like bottom harvested. They're not worth a lot of money. They're very metallic in taste. Where the Virginica um, is, it takes uh, two to three years to grow to like a market size. And so um, our market is really uh, favoring a petite product. So it's actually been great for me because that means, you know, I can sell a product sooner and I'm I'm kind of getting um, the same amount or more because the demand is so high for it. Um, but we don't have as much of, um, a creaminess as, as like a Pacific oyster or even the Sydney rock. Like it's, our, our oysters have a pretty light flavor and texture and, um, they are main oysters in particular known for being really sweet because, um, our waters get so cold in the winter that they go through a, 
uh, they stop metabolizing food because it kind of uh, there stops being food available, um, and they start they begin to store glucose. So from like the months of October through April, they're really in this almost hibernation phase. Um, and they get really pump, plump and really sweet as a result. So they kind of say those are the best months of the year to eat oysters because that's our winter. Um, and another difference is uh, we we have probably slower or similar growth rates to maybe a, a Sydney Rock or Pacific Oyster, kind of in the in-between there, um, depending on the grade. But um, so we use tumblers, and the thing I really learned in comparison after being um, – in Australia is that we really beat the crap out of our oysters. Like we don't have tumblers or, or barrel graters in water necessarily. We're really working to chip down the shell and like encourage a deep cup. Um, otherwise they grow pretty flat. Um, so we're constantly like four times a year trying to in the summer months from maybe June through end of September, October, uh, trying to get every oyster through the tumbler four times, um, but we're doing really similar things like the pillow bags. Um, but one of the types of equipment I haven't really seen in Australia is floating cages, which have six of these bags inside of them. Um, and then we overwinter our product by sinking everything to the bottom because of really we're trying to protect them from storm damage and from ice that we might potentially have in our harbors and, and rivers. But I have a very briny oyster, so I have pretty high salinity content, um, but not much of an aftertaste. Uh, Maine oysters don't have much of an aftertaste in general, but I kind of describe it as like a light cucumbery sweet flavor with kind of like a, a finish of pretty like a salt. Um, but it's really pretty good. I, I sell a really petite product because that's what my market demand has been for. I think I'm growing a really round small product and people really like that. Um, and, and so uh, it's really palatable, closer to the size of a Sydney rock, um, where historically um, I would say they were closer, like the demand was maybe closer to like the bistro, I think. Um, size of maybe a Pacific oyster. Selling oysters in their local town can be a thrilling and fulfilling experience for a young oyster farmer, marking the beginning of a promising career in the industry, whilst also allowing the oyster farmer to connect with their community in a unique way, sharing their love of fresh, sustainably grown seafood and supporting local businesses. That was a really exciting day. It was actually um, my birthday and um, I had, I also was working part-time at a restaurant and they were really excited to get their hands on my product. So they were super supportive, uh, a pretty popular seafood restaurant in Portland, Maine called High Roller Lobster Company, um, known for like all their lobster concoctions and kind of like a really cool, um, feel there, but they have, they also have one of the best raw bars in the city and it, it's cool because it's like really for any age group, but it's young and trendy and vibrant energy and they've got disco balls. So it's just kind of this like unique place to have an oyster and kind of like fits, you know, um, the Naughty Sisters brand almost like it was a really great place to kind of launch from just because of the clientele. So it was exciting to kind of pick work at and be picked up by one of like the places I would recommend people to go for oysters in, in Portland, Maine. Um, and also just fun to have it be on my birthday and with a bunch of my friends and, and things like that. And then they ended up being um, one of my biggest buyers 
throughout uh, that year for sure. So here in Maine, we actually have incredibly strong demand for our product. We can't seem to meet our demand. So 90% of Maine oysters are that are grown in Maine are sold in Maine. And I'm definitely in there. I have had my oysters. I've done um, pretty big deliveries uh, down to New York City and um, through a shipping company. And then I've done a little bit uh, through a distributor to a few places out west in Colorado and Minnesota. Um, but predominantly, I, I can achieve all my, like me, all of my my saleable product can be sold basically within 20 minutes of the farm uh, down in Portland, which is really convenient. Um, but the goal is that like eventually I'll, I'll be able to also expand to, to greater um, markets in the New England area. So Boston to New York City in particular. There's definitely been an, an effort in Maine to like push beyond it just being a luxurious product or, you know, it's really a primo thing because you're paying a lot of money for something that doesn't totally fill you up. Um, so there's a lot of brand identity kind of almost behind that. Like this, uh, there's been an organization that launched the Maine Oyster Trail. So you can learn where farms are located. You can learn where tours might exist, where to buy local product, um, kind of stories about who's selling it. You can check in on a website and get rewarded with things like a hat or a bag and things like that. Um, so we've definitely seen like a, a social shift in like maybe the demographic buying the product too. And I think we're probably seeing that across the United States, but, um, particularly along the coast, which I'm sure is similar to Australia, just people want seafood where the, near the water. <laughs> Traveling to oyster farms in other parts of the world can provide oyster farmers with valuable insights and knowledge that can help them improve the husbandry technology and culture of their own farming operations. By visiting farms in different regions and countries, farmers can also gain exposure to a wider range of techniques and practices and bring back ideas and innovations to implement on their own farms. Um, it was awesome. Uh, my friend Jacqueline and I went um, as part of a technology transfer grant. Uh, through this um, main aquaculture innovation center. And the goal is to really just um, get to visit a few farms and get an impression of different equipment being used, um, you know, levels of scale, uh, things like, you know, how is flip farm being adopted and like get a, a firsthand look at like the SED grader systems and all of just those greater efficiency, like, high efficiency equipment that we don't really have in our industry um, along the East Coast, even at the larger scale um, operations. Honestly, it was a lot of cultural things um, that blew us away, in particular working with oyster life management. And this isn't to say every farm's doing this, and I'm sure they aren't, but you know, every day they had a little break in the morning um, that we jokingly called tea time, and then um, you know, really intentional lunch time uh, with provided things to make sandwiches and stuff. And culturally in the US, like one, we never take breaks and we never stop working. Um, even when you leave the farm, it felt like. And I think the morale was so much higher. So a little bit of that just came back with me of like how I want to be a better employer and how, you know, giving people like those small rewards of time really make probably a difference in their effectiveness and happiness at work. Um, but I also found that like, translated to with like more efficient equipment 
right now we're really all breaking our backs to to grow an oyster and i realized like wow i w- maybe wouldn't hate being on the water some days if i wasn't hurting all the time pretty much every day that we worked at oyster life management i was like this is the easiest day i've ever been on a farm in my life and it continued to get easier cuz i understood the equipment easier better um and I've probably been on almost 40 farms along the coast of Maine because prior to starting my own, I did undergraduate research and would visit and try to work on farms. So I had like a pretty broad impression of like what aquaculture was like. So to go to these farms that maybe weren't even producing that many more oysters necessarily than some of the large farms in Maine, I was like, they are, you know, worlds away, like in terms of efficiency beyond us. Despite the variability of their day-to-day activities, small oyster farmers share a common commitment to quality and sustainability. They take pride in producing high-quality, delicious oysters that are enjoyed by customers near and far, while also striving to minimise their environmental impact and contribute to the overall health of the marine ecosystem. For these farmers, every day is an opportunity to learn, grow, and make a positive impact on their community and the world around them. Typical day for me is, uh, I don't know if one exists. Um, I'm hoping that will change this year. Uh, As a small scale operator, um, I'm I'm out there probably more than 50% of the time alone. And that has its pros and cons because generally like I'm more profitable than probably other people because I I don't have like wage expenses or haven't thus far, although that changes this year as I bring on two employees. Um, But usually I I start at the island where my boat is located, which is called Little John Island in Yarmouth, Maine, and take off from the mooring field for about seven minutes to the farm. And we have two different farm locations that are about five minutes or so apart by boat. And... Um, a lot of the, the work is pretty similar to, I think, like a traditional Australian oyster farm where we're working on anti-fouling. So trying to make sure the equipment is flipped out of the water, maintained, um, splitting bags and equipment for stocking density to always ensure they're not too heavy or they're not sinking. And then um, going through that tumbling and grading process to, to kind of shape the oyster and sort them by size. And then generally one day a week is dedicated to harvesting and sales. Um, so, uh, early spring, like around this time right now, I'm like ordering equipment and getting things organized and ready to kind of put on the water in the next six weeks. And then, um, May to November is the primary working season on the farm. And then like early November and December is when we really transition to beginning to sink our equipment to the bottom. Um, we're having less and less concerns, I think about ice uh, due to just unfortunately climate change. Uh, additionally, the Gulf of Maine is the fasting, uh, is warming faster than 99% of the world's oceans, but we still do have ice. Um, where I am, it doesn't necessarily ice over, but we have ice movement, so it can still cause a lot of damage to the equipment, um, you know, in big storms and things. So, uh, I think what I was going to say is that one of the contrasts between Australia and here is, um, we have really limited working waterfront access. So um, I don't work from like a shed on land. Like all of my equipment's located on my boat or on docks in the water. So I spend my entire day out um, in the harbor and then kind of come back at the end of the day. And one of, there, there's an organization near here working to preserve working waterfront access, but um, 
I was definitely appreciative of seeing all the access to sheds and things, even if they're, you know, not not in the best condition necessarily, but there's they still exist and we don't quite have that here. A small oyster farmer's love of the industry can be a driving force for growth and innovation, as well as a source of pride and fulfillment. These farmers are committed to producing high quality, sustainable oysters that reflect the unique character of their local waters, while also contributing to the health and vitality of the marine ecosystem of their area. I guess the future for Naughty Sisters is a continued farm expansion. Um, we're working to submit our next phase of leases to the um, Department of Marine Resources here in Maine. And in theory, that should be a one-year process, but it might be a three-year process, we'll see. And uh, continuing to grow sustainably and employing um, my sister and an intern this summer who will join us on the farm uh, to, to kind of just continue our growth and um, hopefully bringing a great product to, to main tables. Uh, and then also adding an element of farm tours, really trying to improve our social license and um, understanding with community members and tourists. Uh, I hold a U.S. Coast Guard captain's license, so we'll now be able to offer that on a limited basis. Um, so that's exciting. I just love being out on the water. There's something really incredible and about like the intrinsic nature of being out there. Uh, I'm so close to, to everything, but I get to feel like I'm in my own little kind of slice of heaven. Um, the area that I'm near uh, doesn't really have a lot of homes, which is unique for uh, the state of Maine. Majority of our coastline is covered in, in private properties and large homes. So I really love that I get to feel pretty remote despite being in a really high dense populated area. The emergence of young professional oyster farmers is incredibly important for the future of the industry and is in line with the growing respect and recognition of how special oysters are as a luxury food. As older generations of farmers retire, it's vital to have this next generation of farmers who are passionate, dedicated and committed to sustainability, innovation and culinary excellence. These young farmers bring fresh perspectives and new ideas to the industry, as well as a deep appreciation for the importance of responsible and sustainable farming practices. Alicia Guerrero is a star of the next generation of world oyster farmers, shining a bright and positive light on the future of oyster farming, both in her home state of Maine and around the world. This is Fishtails, a seafood podcast. A deep in the weeds production, I'm John Sussman. Follow us on Instagram at Fishtails Seafood Podcast or email us at fishtailspodcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay tuned for more tales from beneath the surface of the seafood world every Friday on your podcast app. <laughs>